People need to read the New Testament and decide if it is their truth source. For me now, no man, no religion is my truth source, but the Jesus of the Bible is real and he is my truth source. Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Today, you'll meet a very accomplished woman who, along with her family, chose to leave the Mormon religion when they reached a crisis of faith and began to ask questions. You'll meet Lynn Wilder in just a moment. First Person is a weekly program highlighting stories of people who have placed their faith in Christ and been called into service on behalf of His kingdom. Each story is unique, but bears the mark of the Lord's imprint on their life. We have a website that goes hand-in-hand with the interviews you hear. It's firstpersoninterview.com. There online, you can view additional information about today's guest, as well as see the schedule of upcoming broadcasts, and explore the archive of all past interviews. I hope you'll take a look online at firstpersoninterview.com. And then we're also found on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, Lynn Wilder is a wife, mother, grandmother, scholar, and author with a doctorate in education. Once tenured faculty at Brigham Young University, and along with her husband, a lay leader in Mormonism, Dr. Wilder left the Mormon Church in 2008. In a recent phone conversation, we began talking about how they first got involved in the Mormon Church. My husband and I converted to Mormonism at the age of 25. Believe it or not, he grew up Baptist, and I grew up Presbyterian, uh, but neither of us were in homes where the Bible was the center. My Presbyterian home never, ever cracked the Bible open. We never read it. I didn't know it at all. And what was the attraction uh, to Mormonism? Was it the, you know, the standard home visit where it first uh, caught your attention? Definitely the missionaries knocked on our door. We were looking for faith. We had tried this church and that church, and they seemed kind of boring to us. I had just read the Old Testament, and I was thoroughly convinced that these were latter days because Israel had returned, and none of the pastors in the churches where we were going were saying anything about that. And then these two men knock on my door, and their badges say, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I went, Whoa, somebody who knows it's Latter-days. And relationally, what did uh, the Mormon Church offer you? I'm, I'm sure they embraced you and uh, really welcomed you in, but what, uh, what kind of experience was that? They were wonderful. The Mormon Church understands how relationships bind people, and when they are trying to get you to come to faith in Mormonism, they are just wonderful to take you in, have you to dinner. Um, They even found kind of a parent substitute family for us, and he was a professor, and um, they were important at church. So in one fell swoop, my husband, who was teaching at the university, became really important in his department because of this man who had befriended him, and he became important in the church. And um, within six months, we just kind of supplanted our own biological family with this Mormon family, and um, they teach you that the Church of Mormonism then becomes your family. 
I think it's important to point out, too, that you and your husband were highly educated, are highly educated, and this wasn't a matter of just blindly stumbling into something. This was something you were looking for and really captured your attention, didn't it? Absolutely. There are a lot of very intelligent people in Mormonism. Um, I eventually taught at the Mormon-owned university, Brigham Young University, and I can tell you that we taught our students to use their reasoning mind in every area except for faith. And in faith, you follow the Mormon Church blindly. You follow the prophet at the head of the Mormon Church blindly. That is what we were taught, and that's what we believed. I didn't know that in Isaiah it says, come let us reason together, that the God of the Bible actually invites you to test things out and to reason. Hmm. Take some time, Lynn, and describe uh, those first few years. You and your husband were married without children when you started in the Mormon Church, but you you raised your kids uh, as Mormons for many years. We raised our kids in Mormonism for 30 years. Mike and I had had a number of miscarriages when we joined the church, and the people kept telling us, if you join Mormonism and if you go to the temple and you get sealed together as a couple in the temple so that you can be married for this life and for the next life, that God will bless you with children. And believe it or not, that's basically what happened. We went to the temple, and nine months later we had our first live child. Um, Mike and I eventually had four children. Mormons call that being born under the covenant. So we had four children born under the covenant, and we thanked the God of Mormonism for that and um, raised them very strong and faithful and active in the church. But as the years went by, you and your husband became leaders? We did. Um, Mike was in a bishopric as a clerk Mm, I think from the very beginning, I became a young women's president within the first year, um, and he eventually worked his way to be a high counselor, which are 12 men that kind of rule over a region of maybe 10 to 12 churches. And he used to sit on church courts and make determinations of punishment for people who had sinned, that that kind of thing. He was a high priest from the time he was in his 30s. Um, we know now that Jesus is the only high priest, but in Mormonism you have thousands of high priests. I was a Relief Society president in a Mormon ward or congregation. You have a male leader, and then you have a female leader that watches over the adult women, and I was that female leader a couple of times. Um, so, yes, Mike and I had, we were strongly entrenched in the faith. We really believed it. We lived it. And there were times when we had callings in the church that took 20 hours a week. And in the Mormon church, you're not paid for any of that. It's all lay. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that you were uh, comfortable, that you were happy. Uh, you were serving, you were doing what you felt God wanted you to do. Uh, did you ever have any doubts along the way during those many years? That's a good question. Whenever the church told us we couldn't read something, I stepped out and read it because that seemed kind of silly to me, and I was kind of a reasoning human being. So we were told at one time not to read the book Emma Smith. It was something about Joseph Smith, the founder of the church's wife's life, because Joseph had 34 wives. 
I did step out and read that in the 1980s, and I, we were told not to read the book Mormon Murders, um, which is something that happened in Salt Lake a few years ago with yeah. some bombs and people dying. Yeah, well, I get the impression very distinctly from your book that uh, life as a Mormon is very uh, strict, very legalistic. Uh, did did you always adhere to all that? And did, again, did that bother you at all? We actually did adhere to all of that. Mike and I were very faithful. You're supposed to fast once a month for 24 hours. We always did that. We always attended our meetings. We always went to the temple. And when we lived in Indiana, the closest temple was Washington, D.C., 12 hours away. It was quite a sacrifice for us financially to be doing that. Is that that big, beautiful temple you see when you drive into D.C.? The one that looks a little like Oz, the city of Yes. Oh, it's, It's absolutely stunning, isn't it, to look at? That's where Mike and I were sealed together for time and all eternity, yes. Hmm. we Yes, we did always do it because we believed that this was the Church of Jesus Christ and that we were pleasing Him by doing all these things that we were told to do. Hmm. What caused you then to uh, pull up roots and actually move to Utah? I mean, you... You were not raised in the Mormon Church, and you describe in the book that you still were sort of an outsider moving to Utah, but what caused you to want to do that, and what was it like when you got there? We had wanted to retire in Utah. Mormons consider Utah Zion, so Jerusalem is not Zion, but Salt Lake would be Zion to a Mormon, and so you want to live there. Um, I had had an amazing kind of supernatural experience with God where he sent me back to school to get a doctorate, which is not something that a Mormon wife typically does. And then after I did that, I was hired by Brigham Young University that uh, the church owns. And that's what took us to Utah in 1999. And I praise God and thank him for taking us to the heart of Mormonism so that we could learn the heart of Mormonism. Mm-hmm. I read that as you moved to Utah, that even though you were practicing Mormons, it was still a, a different culture to move into those neighborhoods, wasn't it? Do you know, I didn't know that polygamy still existed. I knew that that was a part of original Mormonism, but there are um, estimates run as high as 100,000 polygamists still living in the United States. And now that there are some of those reality shows um about polygamy, I guess we get kind of a yeah. view of that. The old kind of reformed polygamists with the long hair and the pastel pioneer dresses, but also just everyday-looking people who live polygamy, and they live in the Salt Lake neighborhoods and kind of all over Utah. But the culture shock went beyond polygamy, didn't it? I mean, just the—did you sense anything different in the neighborhoods you lived in? There's a real sense of judgmentalism in a works-based faith, and so everybody kind of has their place. And since we were converts, we were a little bit second-class citizens, because in Mormon belief, they believe that there's a pre-existent world and that you lived before you came here. And your station in life here is determined by decisions that you made in the pre-existence. So those who are most righteous in the preexistence 
will come to a Mormon home, a white home, a generational Mormon home, and right in the middle of Zion, likely. So because we were converts, we were a little bit second-class citizens in Utah among all the generational Mormons. More of Lynn Wilder's dramatic story, Unveiling Grace, coming up on First Person. With the Winter Olympics coming up in Sochi, Russia in a few short months, Russian Ministries has a plan to distribute the Gospel of John to as many of the participants and spectators as possible. But your help is needed for the printing and distribution costs. If you'd like to help with this project, the Gospel of John, please go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner for Russian Ministries. Pray with us that this need will be met. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. My guest on First Person today is Lynn Wilder, the author of Unveiling Grace. It's the story of her family, the story of how they found their way out of the Mormon church. And I'm glad to have this opportunity to talk to Lynn today. Uh, When we left you a moment ago, Lynn, you had just moved to Utah. Now, again, you found a job working at Brigham Young, which uh, put you right in the the heart and center of the, the Mormon church, didn't it? Absolutely. We saw general authorities, 12 apostles. Um, We kind of hung with General Relief Society presidents. People outside the Mormon Church may not know what that is, but within the hierarchy of the Church, um, Brigham Young professors are placed there. They call it the School of the Prophets, and and the point of Brigham Young University is to train up leaders for the Church in the future, people like Mitt Romney and... Stephanie Myers, who wrote the Twilight series, um, they go to BYU, and then they're sent out and expected to do well in their careers and represent the Church so that others will be drawn to the Church. So that was my job at BYU, to raise up those kind of youth that would go out then and have influence all around the world. A big-picture question, Lynn, before we get into your personal testimony of deliverance, but in general, do you find that evangelicals know what we need to know about Mormonism to really um, be in the know and be able to refute uh, what they teach? Thank you for asking me that question. Absolutely not. Mormon doctrine and the Mormon culture are very kind of hidden from the public. There's much that people don't know about Mormonism, and there are a lot of people out there trying to say that Mormons are Christians, we need to invite them into the body of Christ. Mormon doctrine is contrary to Christian doctrine in many, 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 many ways, and the Jesus of Mormonism teaches a different way to salvation than the Jesus of the Bible. Therefore, you cannot be both biblical Christian and Mormon at the same time because they're contrary, so you have to make a choice between one or the other or say that neither of them are true, but they both can't be true because they're so different. Hmm. All right, let's go back to your personal story. I know a lot of it was because of the, uh, the your young people began to take these mission trips that are, I guess, are they required by the Mormon Church? It really is a rite of passage in Mormonism, yes. Every young man and women are also told that they should, but but women don't go as often. Women often get married out of high school in Utah, and then they would marry a returned missionary who might be 22. 
and that would be kind of a typical scenario in Mormon culture. Um, Mike and I had three sons, and at the end, a daughter, and each of our three sons served Mormon missions. One went to Russia, the next went to Denmark, the third was headed for Mexico City. When God began to change the trajectory of all of our lives. Micah, when he was in the Missionary Training Center on the way to Mexico City, his lung collapsed. And because of that health problem, the Mormon Church ended up having to send him stateside, and he went to the happiest place on earth, Orlando, Florida, (laughs) for his Mormon mission on his bicycle with his tags, with his helmet. And he loves to tell you that he was the kind of zealous missionary that would cross six lanes of deadly traffic if he saw you over there to teach you the gospel of Mormonism. <laughs> Life's a lot different for him today, isn't it? Oh, very different. Micah actually read the New Testament on his Mormon mission because a Baptist preacher that he tried to convert to Mormonism challenged him to read the Bible as a child. It's a great story. I-, I wish we had time to go into all the detail of how those trips and your children's experiences began to turn your heart and mind toward Christ. But you know, tell me about your own personal experience. It was it was getting into the Word of God and reading the Word of God? The first thing that shook me up was teaching diversity at Brigham Young University and, and covering this amazing racism from their past. And then I went and researched and realized that blacks couldn't attend BYU in the 60s and I had students that were tremendously racist, but there are, there's quite a bit of racism in Mormon scriptures that I wasn't even aware of that I then became aware of. So God kind of prepared my heart in that way, and then this third son became born again on his Mormon mission, confessed he was saved by grace through faith in Christ to a room of 60 Mormon missionaries and his Mormon leaders while on his mission. I bet all the air left that room. Oh, he was sent home. They tried to excommunicate him. My husband and I actually put him on a plane and got him out of the state. And that's when God began to change our hearts. All he said to us before he left was, Mom and Dad, read the New Testament. (laughs) So my husband and I began to do it, and it became an obsession until the very first verse I read was John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mormonism teaches that Christ worked his way to Godhood. Hmm. Well, if he was God from the beginning, Mm -hmm. he couldn't have worked his way to Godhood. So over and over and over and over, reading the New Testament, the Spirit just opened my eyes to, wait a minute, this is not the Gospel of Mormonism. And then you have to choose, do I believe the God of the Bible, or do I believe the God that the Mormon hierarchy is teaching me? But you were so steeped in Mormonism, it must have put you in a lot of turmoil to reconcile what you were reading in the Word versus what you were being taught in the Mormon Church. Yes, but you know, I find the God of the Bible to be so much bigger than the God of Mormonism. The God of Mormonism has a body it's actually, he's actually polytheistic. Um, each god is different, they're separate, they have bodies, they're like men, they can't be all places at one time, they're working their way to godhood, um, and they just kind of rule certain regions of planets. 
the God of the Bible could be all places at one time. He never sleeps. He's always working. He wants all people to come to him. And I found this amazing God of grace that was so different from the God of works that I knew that I got to a point of no return where I just knew that the God of the Bible was the real one, the big one, Hmm. and there was just no going back. But, of course, I was going to have to give up a tenured professorship, money, 30 years of friends. I also don't want to miss the point that it's remarkable that you and your husband basically simultaneously were on this same track, spiritually speaking, weren't you? Do you know, God is so good. He brought Micah out, and then Micah brought his older brother out uh, to Jesus, to the God of grace, and then his sister to the God of grace. And then God melted my heart, and then several months later, my husband came along. And while I was writing this book, our last son gave up his... um, membership in the Mormon Church. But I have seen God do so many miracles, I honestly didn't worry about it. He is just this amazing God of grace. And Micah keeps saying, we're now in ministry. He says, look, God created this story from the beginning. He took us in so we would love the people and know the people and know the scriptures and know the culture. And then he brought us to his bosom so that we could have a heart for Mormons and pray for them and love them and help them come to grace. Lynn, how do you look at Jesus today? (laughs) Jesus is all-powerful. He is loving. He is truth. It does matter what's truth. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate asked him what's truth. He said, I came for this purpose to testify of truth. People need to read the New Testament and decide if it is their truth source. For me now, no man, no religion, no pastor is my truth source, but the Jesus of the Bible is real and living, and he is my truth source, and his words are in the Bible. Your family has been on a miracle journey, and you have made some sacrifices to Uh, do what you've done and to accept uh, Jesus Christ and the God of the Bible over Mormonism. Uh, Any regrets at all? You've given up, I'm sure, relationships. You gave up position, a tenured university position. Any regrets at all, Lynn? None. This God, day by day by day, creates miracles. In fact, when we were asking God, should I stay at BYU, He actually had a dean at a college in Florida call me. I hadn't even applied there. I don't know how the woman got my Vita. She called me and offered me a job, point blank. I began to realize that this God orders my steps, and he is big, and once you surrender to him, what he can do has no bounds. And now I'm sleeping on a tour bus with a bunch of young musicians, and we are traveling the country, and we are telling our story, and I am 60 years old, and I will praise his name till the day I die. Our guest on First Person has been Lynn Wilder, the author of Unveiling Grace, the story of her family's departure from the Mormon Church, guided by the truth of Scripture. There's more to Lynn's story that we didn't have time to get to today, and I urge you to go to her website and learn more about this family's important decision. 
We'll place links to Lynn and her book at firstpersoninterview.com. Please visit us there for additional details. That's firstpersoninterview.com. And if you'd like to listen to any past interview, they're all archived at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, the story of a young Albanian pastor who was murdered in what is known as a blood feud. We'll talk with his widow. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.